David is a very special guest because he is the first repeat guest. It was supposed to be Renell Bruder from last week, but the catastrophic weather closed down all city, I guess, agencies such as this one and as well the schools. It was the first time kids were off school in eight years or the first time the TDSB shut down in eight years. Really? Pretty, yeah. Huh. Isn't that amazing? So that's like about it. Shut, shut down yeah, yeah. Kid didn't know TDSB school was open wow. last Tuesday. I don't remember being that bad. It wasn't that bad. Are we getting a bit soft when it comes to weather? I was curious. I talked. That's maybe our first topic. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's have that. Since we actually don't really have anything to talk about today, let's focus on that. Here, I'm going to take off my earphones. Um, I had a discussion with one of the other parents the other day. And I thought, gee, I wonder if our um, reaction to the weather last week mm-hmm. or maybe our overreaction was due to the impact of social media and um, sensationalizing little problems. So did we overreact in a way that was out of kilter with what we should have reacted to and is that an is that a conditioned response that's been increased over time because of our reactionary behavior which is often driven by social media and it, it it sometimes feels like there's so much information that it's hard it's hard not to react when everyone's telling you uh, there's been a warning. There's a warning of something right, coming. Right. As opposed to just waking up and saying, oh, it's snowing outside. Oh, it's really <laughs> cold. I need to adjust accordingly. So I think uh, <laughs> sometimes when I, when I speak to my mother, she's like, did yeah. you read the, she, read the weather report? Right. I was like, no, I'm just going to go outside and figure out what I need in yeah. order to get through whatever Mother Nature is throwing at me. Yes, as that, opposed to the the <laughs> excessive planning and the yeah, shutdowns yeah, yeah. and the freakouts, right. as opposed like just get to get there. I mean, plan, yeah, but, yeah, 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 but react and adju- adjust as opposed to um, like get all caught up in the. It's like an overreaction. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think right. I mean, we live in Canada. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be cold here. The weather is it's supposed to be snowy, mm-hmm. and yet we can't function when there's a lot of snow like that. <laughs> There has been so I play hockey with. Um, it's funny we have a bunch of old guys and then their kids. So yeah. there's like a thirty some odd year gap between <laughs> half the team. Anyhow, the older guys have been pissed and adamant about how horrible the snow removal has been this year, and it's never been so bad. And who knows what the heck's going on? But it does seem that we've lost a little knack for dealing with the irritation of the weather i don't know what it yep. is yeah and does how does that relate to our societal inability to deal with conflict and strife and frustration and etc which is all under the umbrella of mental health so we, okay so it's like this little pinprick a bit of weather yeah and a freak out yeah and that's you're saying there's actually like an analogy to be made with how we deal with a whole host of challenges in our life in our lives yeah, you're absolutely. Just sort yeah, of yeah, yeah, Something's yeah. uncomfortable and it's a meltdown. Yeah. Not going to school, I shut everything down, don't do anything. That's like emotional shutdown in reaction to a bit of adversity, a bit of conflict, something getting your way, an obstacle. Yeah. 
that there is, yeah, and I guess in fairness to the school boards, if the weather had turned out the way it was anticipated, it would have been really bad. So, you know what I mean? So the idea was that the roads would have been a sheet of ice, basically. And if you have literally hundreds of thousands or millions of people driving around uh, during rush hour on that day, it could have been really bad. So I think that was the intention, which... My son loved it. <laughs> he got to play. You know what's so funny is two people. We know two people that just went off to school without checking their email or anything, which is, you know, unheard. The of. fact, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the fact that they didn't check their email before going to taking their kids to school. What's wrong with you know? <laughs> so ridiculous. Anyhow, so uh, two people didn't, and then. Uh, my wife managed to speak to one of them before they got to school. And then the other one, it's funny, we called them to ask if their son wanted to have a play date with our son. Mm. And the mom was like, oh, um, you know, her husband had already left with the three kids. They walked to school. Wow. So he walked to school with his three kids. So they have three kids all under, you know, eight years old. Shrekking through the snow. Just yeah, getting just and just dragging, you know, all the. It's not an easy task to get out of the house in the morning all the right. time with little kids. And right. so, you know, <laughs> the poor guy, you know, drags his kids to school to find out all the doors are locked and no one's around. He's kind of wondering what's going on here. Anyhow, it was kind of funny. So his son came over to our house and played all day and oh, nice. it was nice for the kids. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So you survived. Somehow. Somehow. Yeah. So unfor- we all yeah, end yeah. Up <laughs> we do. And we're usually better as a result of mm. that survival. Right. Um, but yeah, so we were talking about how our societal inability to handle stress and difficult situations, mm-hmm. uh, I guess what the relationship between the individual and the society and how it's so connected slash interesting. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Okay. So this is a very Canadian topic. You I guess so, yeah. Weather, <laughs> yeah. Right? Just like, hmm, the weather. Complain about the weather. <laughs> yeah. And then... But I think there is, there is something to be said about resilience in the face, especially as we move towards, uh, you know, the extreme weather yeah. stuff, what we hear a lot about. Yeah, yeah. How do we as a society, how do we as individuals figure out how to live and how to adjust and how to build our homes and how to prepare for... Um, potentially catastrophic events yeah uh, and also you know physically prepare right in in terms of infrastructure but also emotionally Mm -hmm. what does um you know what 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 is society going to look like when we have real food shortages because we can't grow you know either either there's a power outage and you know we can't irrigate we can't um fuel our trucks to transport food we're so reliant on this Mm -hmm. sort of like resource-based economy that once those resources go away or they can't be accessed what happens so it would be very interesting to see um but you can practice i mean i feel like you know i actually wrote down as i was just thinking i was like sort of you know mike one thing i want to ask you is about like daily routines and sometimes i think about um in terms of like preparing for not the worst Mm -hmm. but preparing for adversity Mm -hmm. and like getting ready for things that may be bad um and tooling up in an emotional sense to be able to deal with that so when something bad does happen yes 
it's like it's like okay, I think I got this because I've thought about it for a while. I haven't freaked out. I haven't been alarmist, but sort of like foreseen it. I, you know, if just to dip into the dog thing very quickly, it's like you know, if something happens and I don't see it, shame on me because I should I, I should be able to see everything when I'm with my dog. I should be able to see everything. I should be able to see that person coming, that dog two hundred feet away. Yeah. Um, and prepare for it. So when the dog does, you know, if I'm startled by something, that's my mistake. Right. So maybe we need to start thinking about lives as if like, like get ready for all these possibilities um, without, without losing our minds over it and losing sleep and losing being in a moment. Because you got to, I guess you got to have to, you have to draw that balance between a future oriented mind yeah, yeah, yeah. and a present mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so. I actually wanted to read, I brought a book to read a paragraph out of for us. And I guess the other thing we need to rewind and. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is David Zarnett, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Dr. David Zarnett uh, from, he's a student advisor, undergrad student advisor at the University of Toronto. He is a amateur dog trainer. Is that fair to say? Um. Definitely amateur, but not a trainer. Okay. Okay. So we, we can talk about words, you know. I think a lot about words and how to describe it, but you can keep going Okay, cool. Okay, so okay, yeah. My little in, inter, yeah, interlude or something. Them. Yeah. Whatever it is. Um, and he is interested in the mental health and well-being of the students at U of T and people in general beyond that. And we connected through a mutual friend who... I guess a mutual friend's parents um, who are mental health advocates and who are going to be on the show in a few weeks, which is exciting um, to talk about their experience um, losing one of their sons to suicide and the advocacy that they are now doing as a result of that. Um, So stay tuned for that one. Um, But that's how we met. And yes, David's the first repeat guest. I think I mentioned that as well. Uh, And Renelle was supposed to be the first one last week. And hopefully we'll get her back in soon. Um, we're looking perhaps uh, beginning of April to have her back. Okay, so that's the little interlude I should have said at the beginning. But we, as often uh, here in our humble little studio in Radio Region, sometimes the technical things get a little off. So that always throws a hiccup in the plans. Anyhow, that being said, to your question, how do you handle these hiccups or these challenges in everyday life. Right. That's sort of what you wanted to ask, right? The, yeah. Well, yeah, the daily routines. Right. That, um, I was having this conversation with my cousin. I mean, we've had it on a number of times, but just a few days ago and thinking about um, like our, you know, the, the formula, the daily formula we need to, uh, to navigate the full catastrophes of life? Yeah, full, what is it? Full, full catastrophe, catastrophe living. living. Yeah. Kabat-Zinn, right? Yeah. Is, and you, is that the... This is a Kabat-Zinn book. It's it? not full catastrophe living, but... This is not planned. This is That's interesting. This is this is fully unscripted. Yeah. Okay, so, okay, so. to answer your question, yeah. I'm going to read a little bit from his book because it's just so beautiful. Okay, guess what? When it comes right down to it, wherever you go... There you are. Whatever you wind up doing, that's what you've wound up doing. Whatever you are thinking right now, that's what's on your mind. 
Whatever has happened to you, it has already happened. The important question is, how are you going to handle it? In other words, now what? Like it or not, this moment is all we really have to work with. Yet we all too easily conduct our lives as if forgetting momentarily that we are here, where we already are, and that we are in what we are already in. In every moment, we find ourselves at the crossroad of here and now. But when the cloud of forgetfulness over where we are now sets in, in that very moment, we get lost. Now what becomes a real problem? By lost, I mean that we momentarily lose touch with ourselves and with the full extent of our possibilities. Instead, we fall into a robot-like way of seeing and thinking and doing. In those moments, we break contact with what is deepest in ourselves and affords us perhaps our greatest opportunities for creativity, learning, and growing. If we are not careful, those clouded moments can stretch out and become most of our lives. I'm going to keep going a little more. To allow ourselves to be truly in touch with where we already are, no matter where that is, we have got to pause in our moment-to-moment experience long enough to let the present moment sink in, long enough to actually feel the present moment, to see it in its fullness, to hold it in awareness and thereby come to know and understand it better. Only then can we accept the truth of this moment of our life, learn from it, and move on. Instead, it often seems as if we are preoccupied with the past, with what has already happened, or with a future that hasn't arrived yet. We look for someplace else to stand, where we hope things will be better, happier, more the way we want them to be, or the way they used to be. Most of the time, we are only partially aware of this inner tension, if we are aware of it at all. What is more, we are also only partially aware at best of exactly what we are doing in and with our lives, and the effects of our actions and more subtly, our thoughts have on what we see and don't see what we do and don't do. God, I just want to keep reading. But anyhow, we should probably, I should probably stop. Um, well, you, you should yeah. have, maybe just, you, you know, your next radio show is you, you just read. Re- people. <laughs> Don't bring in idiots like me. Yeah. Bring, you know, just, just read from Kabat-Zinn. Yeah, no kidding. He, he's actually speaking in Toronto in a couple of weeks. I tried to get tickets, but sold out. Right. Yes, I did see something, yeah. Did you see that? He's, Blur. Yeah, bathrooms. amazing, yeah. yeah. He wrote a new book. Anyhow, uh so to your point, what I think what that page or so that I read speaks to is this idea of we can't navigate these moment-to-moment or daily struggles or pains or catastrophes if we're not aware of what it is we're doing from moment-to-moment or day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And if the way that I've learned to be more present and aware of myself is 
and what I'm doing um, has been through really conditioned, systematic discipline of practicing that, right? So when I entered recovery um, from addiction and other mental health problems, basically to sum it all up, I was given a book, right, an instruction manual. And I was told, if you do these things, you will get better. <laughs> and they're simple, but they're, you know, discipline root, like intensely structured steps of how to get better, right? And so I started to learn how to develop a daily routine so that when life kicked me in the nuts, you know, I could handle it. Um, and so how... You know, that started out, you know, quickly, a daily routine for me when I'm in line with that would be in the morning. Um, I find a minute or two just to pause, breathe, <laughs> you know, just come into my body, so to speak. And then I would maybe say a prayer or a mantra or just read something that connects me to the bigger reality of life. So it's just, you know, a poem from a famous poet, whatever it is. So I would do that. Um, if possible, go for a little walk, um, maybe write, maybe a little gratitude journal, something like that. Another thing would be, and there's a whole bunch of science and research and evidence that supports how healthy gratitude practices are. Um, and then I would journal right so for many years i used these questions from tony robbins um i'm you know i'm my opinion of tony robbins is neither good or bad so to speak like he serves a great purpose and he's helped a lot of people but he had these questions in a book um and they just helped seven questions and i would literally almost every single day for many years i would write my answers to those questions like what are you happy about in your life how does that make you feel? Uh, what was some of the others were, you know, what are you proud of? Who do you love? And so it was just training myself to think in a different way. Because, and John Kabat-Zinn would say it too, and, and mindfulness in general, you can't, it's not something you do in the moment, right? So if I get stressed and freaked out or angry or whatever, I can't just say, okay, I'm going to practice mindfulness right now and calm myself down. You know, it's, it's sort of similar to if a dam breaks, you can't just fix the dam right away, right? You do all the things you can do to prevent the dam from breaking. And Or if the dam does break, you've done everything you possibly can to stop it from breaking, mm -hmm. in which case it won't cause as much conflict, right? So maybe you have if there's a village downstream or whatever, you know, you have it set up. This is what happens if the dam breaks and here's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. So it's not a reactionary thing. You're prepared and you're able. And in this book too, John talks about anger and his thing sort of in the context of the book. And I'll try to paraphrase the best I can is, or summarize It's coming from my <laughs> therapy practice last night in class. Anyhow, you know, you can't respond to anger in the moment unless you've conditioned yourself to respond to anger in that moment in a different way. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. Okay. So that was a long sort of rant in, in to answer to that question. But it is, you know, we can't be more patient and calm and whatever without consistently practicing it, you know? Right. Yeah. So it has to prelude life experience. Like our practice and our repetition needs to be there ready for when life needs it. Right. So, okay. So this this is... Um, in, in listening to you read Kabat Zinn, mm-hmm. I, I had this thing about like, okay, what are my, what is my issue with presentism? Mm-hmm. And it's not real. It's it's this idea. It's it's this idea of um, you know. I think one thing that I have in me is it's always like planning for the net, not doing things to prepare for certain inevitabilities or certain things that may happen. And what would be an example of that? If I'm if I'm with the dogs, I'm always scanning to okay. foresee like okay, what's so something that my teachers have really taught me is to if you want to view the world through the eyes of a dog, view the world in terms of potential threats. Not everything is threatening, but it could be, and be aware. Um, and is that when with when you're with them, or I'm just in general? Seeing, I'm always seeing. So a turning point with my first dog was when I start to walk around saying that alley. Someone may come out of that alleyway. That car. That you know. Someone may some yeah, yeah. something something may come up that could be a potential threat, and finding that balance between is being it, aware and yeah. being aware of the threat, um, and not being alarmist. Yeah. So, okay. So, okay. So, with presentism or being with being in the present, moment, yeah. um, something that I struggle with is is finding that sweet spot between a, a bit of a future oriented way of thinking, saying something could happen, I need to be aware of it and act accordingly. That takes me, I don't have the ability yet to do that fully and also just be like, okay, this is where I am. Yes. This is how I'm feeling right now. Yes. This is this is the happens to be the weather in this moment. This is where me and my dog are because often you know the dog actually has this ability to do both. They don't even think about it. They just do it. They're aware and they're present. You see it in them, right? You see how they look. You see how they behave. Right. Their ability to be incredibly emotionally agile and not sit in something because yeah, they're yeah, just yeah. sort of not reacting, but they're just being. Yeah. Um, so there. So I that's what I'm always okay, trying yeah, yeah. to. So that when you're when you're sorry to interrupt, but the, no, no, no. The, yeah. When Kabat-Zinn is talking about presentism or being present yeah. or being in this moment, um, I always think about like, okay, I need to do, I need to find that balance. How do you find that balance between foreseeing things and not freaking out as a result of them happening, but also being able to cherish a moment, feel the moment? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have an analytical mind, so I'm always out there. I'm always thinking and thinking and thinking and analyzing um, as opposed to just feeling what it means to be in a radio station, what it means to listen to you talk. I mean, la- my, la- last time we, we hung out, well, I guess it was last Thursday, I remember we said, like, what does it mean to listen? Mm-hmm. So in terms of this balance between being in a p- moment and also thinking ahead, I have to not only listen to you, but I also think about what I'm going to say next. Yeah. So how do I listen to you in a, in a, in a real connected way? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm with you. Like, yeah, as you yeah, talk, yeah. I'm with you. But also, I'm like, okay, like, I got to, like, say something smart. I'm on the radio, like, something, you know, yeah. maybe people are listening or people listen in the future. Like, oh, my God, what are they going to think? Am I going to get invited back? <laughs> so it's that's the hard part. It's that sweet spot. It's that balance. 
that um but I think I think if 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 John Kabat-Zinn were here right now, he mm-hmm. was like, if you really work on being present, that other stuff actually just comes with. It, it sort of just comes, right? Um, like I think the dog actually doesn't have to think about all the foreseeing things. It's just they're there, and they're so and because they're there, they're so powerful. They're not depleting themselves by thinking about the past or a future that never comes. So they're able to deal with stuff. So I think the maybe the way to be truly powerful is just to not to. Th- not to think um, excessively about things you can't, you shouldn't be thinking about. Um, so when you know shit does hit the fan, that's my one swear word. I'm thinking of. Um, it doesn't affect you because you know it doesn't affect you as, as much because you're you're you keep acquiring power by being present, as opposed to depleting yourself by thinking about the past or the future. Just checking our old camera. Yeah. So you know what's amazing is that. In some ways, you answered your own question there, oh, okay. right? Well, I guess one thing I'm trying to learn, well, as I become a therapist, trained to become a therapist, the idea is to help the other person solve their own problems through talking out loud, right, and thinking out loud, which is kind of in a way what you did there. As you continued to think and talk it out, you sort of got to what I was going to say, which I'll talk about a bit, a bit about is – Oh, actually, maybe dogs actually aren't thinking about what's going to happen. They're just so present that if something happens, they're not lost in thought or fear or depression of the past. So then they can respond, you know, in the moment uh, without the shackles of anxiety or sadness or whatever. Um, And so that's from my understanding of mindfulness is that. And also going back to sort of just a daily routine of taking care of myself, so to speak. It's that when life kicks me in the nuts, I'm already prepared and I'm already sort of there and agile and able to navigate that. Um, And where it's interesting. So in my – I had a class last night, a lab I guess it would be, with the teacher and three other students where we were practicing counseling scenarios with each other. And, you know, and therapists often do this. Like they'll take notes in the middle of a session or they'll jot things down. Um, And so where I'm curious and maybe I I will ask my mindfulness teacher who just is – just started offering – her third level course, which a lot of her students have been bugging her to to do. This is Heidi, right? Heidi Walk, yeah. Dr. Heidi Walk, who's an amazing human being. And maybe one day I'm going to ask her to come in here. Um, so she's offering, offering a level three, which level one is the program that John Kabat-Zinn created. Um, so, God, how did I get lost and, and go down that road? Um dogs being present my class yesterday okay and i was going to ask heidi what her opinion on this was okay so in our class yesterday our teacher you know you could see how skilled he was because he was analyzing our four minute conversations like so thoroughly and he got everything it was really actually pretty impressive and he so where when you're listening to someone and you're thinking about what you might say or you're analyzing it or whatever, you're lost in thought, 
how does that impact your ability to listen and be present? Um, and maybe I'll ask him in our next lab. But so there's two things: it's sort of your listening, but you're also thinking and whatever, putting all the information together. And what I've learned with Heidi um, through, I guess it's I don't know if it's, there's a specific name for, it, but mindful listening. So we have these activities where, or these practices where we have a partner and we listen mindfully. Okay. And what that means is rather than, you know, some people think it's synonymous with active listening, but active listening is more you're nodding and you're showing the person I'm paying attention and you may say, yeah, uh huh, tell me more, whatever. Mindful listening is you don't say anything and you don't show facial reactions and body language. You know, you just sit there present with the person i can't like you're i'm here with you but i'm not doing this i'm not shaking my head and smiling i'm just sort of as little emotional whatever as possible and when i'm in that state paying attention to my own breath so i'm rather than thinking of what i'm going to say in response i'm fully present in my own body and experience so I notice maybe the impulse to interrupt you or I notice, oh, that made me think of this and I want to say that because I relate to what you're saying and I have to jump in and interrupt you and say something. Um, it's just noticing that inside of me. So by noticing what's going on inside of me and being as open and present with you as possible, everything you say actually gets recorded in my memory and I don't have to think about it then. So when you're finished, I can pull on that memory and respond to you in a way that is really sincere and straightforward. Does that make sense? It's hard to communicate it through the radio, I think, because you can't see us. But when the video comes out, you can. But um, it's weird. It's almost paradoxical because I'm actually not thinking of anything what I want to say to you. Mm-hmm. I'm fully present in my body and I'm just listening, right? I'm, I'm listening to you. Right. And avoiding thought or not avoiding thought, but keeping my attention on my breath and my body sensations so that when thoughts arise of wanting to interrupt you or comment on what you're saying, I say, oh, I'm having the thought of wanting to interrupt David right now, right? Oh, that's me having an impulse of wanting to say something or wanting to comment. Oh, okay, thank you. And then back to my breath. Is that I, So it's hard because if you don't practice mindfulness, it's hard to feel that. But I think you can understand it theoretically maybe. So, so that was a bit of a rant. But no, yeah. I mean the uh, – I'm very much like I think a, probably an active listener, which, yeah. um, which is good. may undermine yeah. my ability to truly listen. And I think, maybe. I think the way we're educated, if you think about sort of the – the university lecture. No one is. No one talks about how to listen at a lecture because you have to take notes. You have to constantly be writing and thinking and raising questions, and as opposed to just like you said, sitting mm-hmm. there with your breath, with the professor, mm-hmm. with the content, with your fellow students, and being there and um, knowing that, like you said, Mike, that the information is going to come into your brain. However it so chooses or however so your brain decides to assimilate that information. And then it will come out, you know, at the exam or when you have to write a paper Mm -hmm. or during a presentation 
or during the seminar discussion or, or whatever. Um, so it's funny how a lot of the ways we're educated, um, this over-intellectualized life, and I am in it and it's always held me back um, in many ways, doesn't allow us to be that mindful present person because we're constantly thinking and analyzing and assessing and mm-hmm. what's next it's yeah, always like yeah. what am i going to say next <laughs> yeah, yeah how can i disagree with mike how can yeah, i yeah you know i even you know i wrote it down when i was listening to john kabat-zinn he's like he's talking about being present i'm like my initial thought as the academically trained individual is what what would be my criticism and that's not a good point of departure maybe Right, it's not. It's. It's. I don't think it. I mean, I don't want it to be. Yeah. Um, it, it's. You know, it, it's useful in the sense you get like a good exchange of ideas, and maybe you get the advancement of knowledge in some ways. But I think ultimately, if we're really here to power up, power up emotionally, and be really good beings, mm-hmm. then the an- the analysis, the where you know, thinking about where are the holes in your argument, right. how can right, I undermine right. yeah, your yeah, argument. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, that's not probably like who cares if you said something wrong, right? I shouldn't care if he's wrong about president. That's not that shouldn't be the point, right? Um, but I think I think you know uh, just a comment about the way the universities are teaching. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I never I never heard a professor talk about even in the first class. They like this is how um, you should listen. And I've actually haven't really thought about it. And I you know if students come to me and they say like you know what's the best way to to sit in class and really take in do they ask do they ask yeah they ask me yeah you know and i because i'm i'm open to that i was like you know i've I've been a grad i've been a student for so long um i say you know make sure you write i mean my my the biggest sort of newest piece of advice i tell them is get rid of your laptop and just get a piece of paper and a pen out nice um because i think that makes you more connected with the material but now i'm actually thinking that there's some moments when put everything away yeah and I have never said that to a student, and I don't think I even thought about it until maybe late last week when we, when you spoke about a deeper form of listening, which right. isn't nodding your head, writing notes, smiling, frowning, <laughs> moving around, yeah. or it's sort of like in some ways it's just like signaling to the other person that you're with them when yeah. maybe you're really not, and the more you have to signal, the less you're with them, <laughs> right. right? So yeah. something I've inherited from my father, love him, yeah. but we interrupt by saying right a lot like right yeah and i know the more he says right and this is not to pick on him i yeah, do yeah, too yeah, yeah. the more i intervene in someone else's talking the less i'm truly listening right yeah so that's active a, listening that's is probably yeah, yeah. N- is probably a facade i wonder that's yeah, a hypothesis it's, it's interesting because we're so attached to these ideas of signaling that something is happening right so it's yeah. when somebody says right uh-huh yes that lets us know on the surface that they're listening, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I guess the, the flip side of that listening exercise is when you're the person talking, also noticing how you're feeling. Are you wondering if the person's listening to you and are you saying oh my god they're not listening to me i'm not important or what i'm saying is stupid or whatever so we there's two there's always sort of the two sides of the coin and you just can get so lost in that um and i think that's what i think john kabat-zinn has done a masterful job at translating what he learned from buddhism and from mindfulness and all his teachers into simple English language, you know? And 
he's just so incredibly articulate with it all. Um, and I think it's okay to, there's a time and a place for analytical thinking, right? And poking holes in arguments and et cetera. I, I think the practice of mindfulness simply is just noticing that that's what you're doing. It's not trying to fix it. It's not trying to change it. It's just, oh, I'm being really judgmental right now. And I'm really being analytical and I'm, and I'm doing all these things. Oh, isn't that interesting? Like Heidi would say, she often says, oh, you know, that's interesting. That's what I'm doing right now. Hmm. Can I be curious about that? Right? Right. Why am I doing that? Hmm. That's interesting. So even now, even I'll just, like, if I can. Please. Yeah. Um. When I'm now, I'm I'm trying to do what you're telling me to do, yeah. <laughs> which is you know, um, and I feel like I'm in immediately my mood went up when no I way. said, yeah. just thoughts are going to come into your head, right? Yeah. Clouds are going to move through the sky, yes, right. Um, but don't worry about them so much, and I'm like, don't worry about what you have to say next. Because when I was driving out here, I mean, I think something I was thinking is like, all right, what? What are we going to talk about? Because yeah. last time we came in saying these are some of the topics. Right. And this time we came in saying <laughs> we're not really sure what and maybe we'll <laughs> we'll talk about some other things that just happen to come up. Yes. Um, our apologies to the listeners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, uh. But but immediately, you know, and we, we do so much interacting with other people mm-hmm. that if we don't think about how to listen – you can actually really affect your mental emo, mental health yes, because definitely. you're either you're you're not with people you're with them but you're not and if uh you know uh you know they, there's all this research on the the links between social connection and and a positive psychology yeah yeah so you could be surrounded by people but if you're not with them and listening and really you know turning your mind off a bit and opening your heart or opening your brain in a different way then you're not going to get those benefits. So I think a lot, maybe, maybe you know, the mental health community needs to talk about a lot of how to listen. And I'm sure people do talk about it. I just haven't seen it yet. And that's probably my own lack of knowledge or inexperience. But um, even just now, in five minutes, I feel like a huge weight has been lifted <laughs> where I can just be, I can just be and listen, listen to my talk. Right. Um, and, the th- and knowing, knowing that the thoughts, when it's my turn to open my mouth, just sort of assume something's going to come out. It's going to be <laughs> yeah. decent, or it's going to be horrible. But not really thinking about it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing I was um, j- just popped in about about active listening is um, active listening actually ends up speeding up the speaker. The more I say right as you're talking, the more I say right, yeah, mm-hmm, okay. It actually signals to you that i already get what you're saying so move on to the next point <laughs> and i'm like all right i get it i get it come on let's like yeah, I'm let, yeah okay um that type of thing and that's actually not good for the conversation everyone's you know we're i mean society we're moving incredibly fast and i had a, a resolution last year about pace like just think a lot about the pace of one's life the pace of your day the pace of a conversation um and I think active listening can actually speed everything up in an unhealthy way. Um, so I just want to flag that because I think there's a relationship between, um, you know, 
how you, your your mindset and your ability to connect with someone as they speak and you can connect in very subtle ways without saying anything and just allowing them to as i'm doing right now what you know hem and haw and think and try to figure my thoughts out and not have someone interrupt and speed me up is actually really useful so you can find yourself again right so people get lost in talking mm-hmm. i sometimes do i'm you know i'm going in this direction i'm going that direction um and just letting that person like you said i wrote it down um solve my own problems and something as as the un, as the undergrad advisor at U of T and in the Department of Political Science, it's a plug, um, <laughs> hashtag political science. Um, <laughs> one thing I, I I am a problem solver. There's like a hero complex it sometimes can create in me. Like okay, good. Like there's a whole line of students waiting for me. Let, have, let's see how many like fires I can put out in the next two hours. And I leave thinking, wow, I'm this I'm this savior. I am this great guy. And I know, you know, I've had, now I know enough about myself and about how things work that that's never, something bad is going to happen because the universe is going to slap me in the face in some ways because I'm getting on my, my, my high horse about how lucky these students are to have me as the undergrad advisor, as opposed to all those other advisors on campus who give less good advice or less insightful advice, right? It's nonsense. It's not true, but it's something that pops up in the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing I, you know, leaving this conversation, not only about a different type of listening, but also letting the students talk themselves into the solution, which is a deeper form of learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never done well when people have told me what to do, as opposed to I've really done well when they let me screw up a bit, figure it out, give me guidance when asked for. But otherwise, just say, like, you know, you got this. Come to me if you need help. But try things. Just try. Um, it's a deeper form of learning. Yeah, wow. That's lovely. Um, students. Oh, yeah, I wanted to – I was doing my best not to think, <laughs> right? Like, I was really trying to be present there. And every time I started to think, oh, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that, whatever. Oh, let me just check that camera, ladies and gentlemen. So the camera made a sound. Yeah. What, what was it saying? Why was it? Sorry, not, yeah. So why was it interrupting us? And not yeah, because <laughs> technical challenges of low budget production. Um, the, it it stopped recording. Mm. So normally, what's happened in these interviews is it catches the first forty five minutes or so, and then okay. it shuts off. So I'm glad I caught it because I've been posting almost not the whole interview sometimes, which mm. kind of sucks. Anyhow, so. I think there is a place for problem solving too, right? So it's sort of, and and again, if you have a a hallway of students waiting, you know, you, we do have to. Oh, it's the paradox, you know. So there's, in some ways, there's a paradox that's taught often in mindfulness, um, and I'll reference. Uh, I think maybe even one of John's teachers, Jack Cornfield, who is a really well-known guy in the Western world. He always talks about um, the 1,000 joys or the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows or the the joy and sadness or um, like shame and glory or sort of just like the those aren't the right words. And I, I'm trying to remember them so that I can reference them in situations like this. But just the paradox of everything has 
an alternative, right, or an opposite. So when we're listening or trying to solve a student's problem, there is we have to well when we can hold the two paradoxes at the same time maybe we can do a better job and those might be i want to be here and present for this person allow them to solve their own problems to the best of that ability but i also need to get them out of here in 10 minutes right and i have to see the next student and i and so i don't think neither one of those are wrong right it's just how can we be aware that they both exist at the same time. Um, and Jack, another thing Jack says that just popped into my head is he's a Buddhist teacher. So, um, and he's also a Western PhD psychologist. So, but um, he would say, um, you know, we want to embody our Buddha nature, right? Our being, our inherent goodness. But at the same time, we have to remember our social security number kind of thing right so it's we do live in this world of action and getting things done and attachment and a need for progress and a need for a schedule and a need to solve problems and all that other stuff but at the same time we want to hold this space of being and presence and kindness and awareness right and so it's you know as you're as you were speaking about the i you know it's uh nice and i think is that you can acknowledge when your thoughts get into this sort of savior kind of world because whether people can acknowledge it or not, we're all doing that, right, to some extent. Um, and I think there's an example in the news recently of, and I don't want to get too far down this hole, but Liam, ne- Liam ne- Neeson or something, that actor guy, he's a pretty famous actor. Um, he spoke about this experience where a long time ago one of his friends was, I think, raped or something. And he disclosed some really personal thoughts that were taken the wrong way, I would say, about wanting to hurt human beings, Um, right? Because he said, I couldn't believe how much of an animal and lunatic I thought I was at the time because he got so angry and so resentful and he wanted to go and cause harm to the perpetrators who raped his friend. Mm. And so he was just sharing this incredibly personal, deep insight about his crazy thoughts. And then everyone just labeled him as like a racist and like a whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, it's sort of the, the more we can be in touch with that, paradox perhaps and also the way our own negative thinking goes well the better we will be able to be humans and serve other people Um, and then also we'll be able to allow other people to do that because we're so critical and caught up in this like you did this and you did that and it reduces the ability of everyone else to be honest with themselves and the world and I know there's a that starts to push against this whole free speech debate that's happening right now, which I don't want to go there. But if we can't allow ourselves to be honest with our own thoughts and feelings and emotions, then how the hell are we going to let anyone else? And how are we going to solve any problems? Mm -hmm. It's so crazy. Oh my God. I don't know. So the, the the Liam Neeson, I I don't know about that story, but that's, that suggests to me that, um, 
how hard it is to be like I guess honest mm-hmm. it's one thing to be honest to yourself and not tell anyone yes right and I think that's maybe that's like a str- like that's something you can always try to be if you feel like your environment isn't receptive to your honesty yes <laughs> right yeah, yeah like say okay at least I got myself right and I think we should like something I really work on is saying like okay if I'm not like be on my side um, I'm my best friend. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so that interest, so if he, he's, he's being vulnerable. Yeah. Incredibly and vulnerable. And then yeah. he's taken down for it. Yeah. He's saying like, you know, I shouldn't have had these thoughts. Yeah. This is where I was. Yeah. And this is sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's actually interesting that, that so much of us connect with those who are confident enough to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, but in this case, if it's on Instagram or if it's on Twitter and it's sort of like filtered through social media and really sort of dumbed down in many ways, then it's easier to start judging. Yeah. Um, as opposed to like, if he were to say, say that to you in a, in person and in a conversation and you can see his body language, you can see his, his eyes, you can see maybe the pain he went through and. Right, then it's easier right, to right. connect. Yeah. And, um, you know, yeah, often these, these sort of quick hits on any type of internet platform, they, they take the the meaning. They not only strip words of context, but they strip it of the individual's, like sort of the emotional environment in which they're saying these words. Um, so I think that that's, that's, that's unfortunate that he, you know, that, you know, in that situation, he, he didn't, he wasn't able to be, you know, I'm not sure how he reacted to, to yeah. that. Maybe he, maybe he's a, a real badass and he was like, look, I know that I, I was honest with myself and that's the only thing that I can control. I can't control how anyone else reacts to me because everyone is coming in with their own struggles and their own challenges. Um, and often people don't do it for bad intentions. I mean, yeah. this is the really, this is the thing I was thinking about the last few days about, is there such thing as bad intentions? Does anyone yeah. actually go out there? Yeah, and, yeah. Like, with, I mean, we go with even the the child molester to put it in the word, you know, the lowest form. Um, I don't want to say of humanity, but something that we would just be to- we're appalled by, and we should be like that person. I'm not sure always necessarily realizes what they're doing, or they may think they're doing something for a different reason than what other people see it as. And um, like the pre- the Catholic priest. What are they doing? How would they... Dis- the person who works at the tobacco... For the tobacco in- industry. Yeah. Right? How do they justify? Do they say, well, yeah, you know, I do have this job, but I also have to pay for my children to, to live. So maybe the intentions aren't always so black and white, mm-hmm. good, bad. Um, so so that was a bit of a stream. I don't know sure how we got into the intentions, um, but if Liam Neeson was, you know, ide- the ideal response, sometimes I think about the ideal, um, what should we be always be doing? What's my, what's right. Dave's ideal reaction in this yes. moment? Um, it would be like, just focus on what you can tr- control, which is your own mindset, your own behavior, your own perception of other people. And just roll with the punches what other people <laughs> throw you. And every the more shit they throw at you, the better you're going to be in the end, right? Like, yeah. I think a theme that came up in some of my meetings with students last last few weeks was, um, I know I said this on the podcast last time, was like, if you if you get rejected by a grad school, you get rejected by something, you do horribly on a paper, that's it's a good thing because it's an opportunity. 
um, like deal, go through crap, go through. I think, Mike, in, in your case, like you're really set up to be really successful because you've been through so much, mm-hmm. and you have the wherewithal to think through about like, what what did I go through? How do I how do I get over this? And how can I share my insights with other people? So, um, so maybe the situation with Liam Neeson makes him a bit stronger, saying, you know, I did the right thing. And hopefully other people can get some inspiration from that and, and treat those who are being vulnerable with some degree of compassion. Even if what they're saying mm. isn't always compassion-worthy. Yeah. Like, can you be yeah. compassionate to, to Donald Trump? Yeah. The guy is a deeply struggling, yeah. wounded individual. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. It's right? go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, sorry. Are you? It's okay. I feel like you're a bit uncomfortable here. Well, I'm always sort of uncomfortable. Is that a little better? <laughs> so you don't yeah, have yeah. to lean forward. Okay, there you go. Is that a little better? It's like we have like five minutes left. We do. We can go over. Yeah, I know. I think, like, <laughs> what are your intentions? Are you just bad? <laughs> yeah, I'm just not mindful enough. Of what's going on? We're too mindful that <laughs> you didn't. You weren't distracted by the location of the mic. Maybe, maybe that is possible. Um, so wait, there were two things. So I don't want to forget to ask you about the cell phone. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Cell phone and wireless internet, and then, God, I got sidetracked about. Oh, the other thing I guess maybe was um, when you uh, we talked about this the other day and I thought it would be interesting for people to hear is when students come to you um, down on themselves, mm-hmm. thinking they're not good enough or they're not worthy or whatever. And just the what you explained to me how a conversation or how co- those conversations go and how sometimes what happens is they start to realize, oh, I have done a bunch of things or I am worthy or good or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's um, – and this is where I think allowing students to talk, they realize – I don't want to – I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but they sometimes realize the ridiculousness of what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And then it <laughs> becomes a bit like funny, like, oh, my God, I just said I've done nothing. And then I said, okay, look, tell me a bit about what you've done. Like, I have enough experience now to, to ask that question. Right. Because it then prompts the student to think about their CV, to visualize the CV, or to bring it out and say, you know, I've had this, I've had this position, I've worked at you know, this job, and I've done this volunteering. And most, most have done some good stuff. I'm like, <laughs> wait, hold on a second. You literally just said you've done nothing, and you just spent the last minute and a half, you know, how many seconds is that? Um, 90. There you go. <laughs> 90, nice. Um, Rhyming off some really impressive stuff. So hold on to that. It doesn't mean you're done. Yeah. doesn't mean you shouldn't keep building. Um, but, like, hold on to that. That's good. That's really good. So in those situations, um, I think really helping is creating a space where a student can talk about some of their experiences helps them leave. Without me telling, I mean, there's two ways to go. I could, I could say, I could hammer them over the head, and I've, you know, I've done this. Where like, look, you, you're way better than you think you are, and I can tell them how to feel, or I can just create a space where they actually recognize that their perception of themselves is entirely accurate, and that's more of like, I guess, it's like a CBT type, like mm-hmm. assess, empirically assess your feelings, right? Yep. Um, and or that's thoughts. The intellectual analytical mode um, yeah which has your thoughts yeah no no it just it has its place going back to that are we problem solving or are we just creating space for the person so it's funny and in our in my counseling in my class in the lab yesterday the counseling lab um 
I guess the teacher had the signal for when we should stop so he could give his two cents. And at one point, we weren't supposed to go into the problem-solving place yet. So this was just sort of validating the person, welcoming them, giving open and closed questions, summarizing their thoughts and whatever, connecting them to a feeling, whatever it is. Um, but the second you went into problem solving, he was like, stop. So, oh. yeah, because that is a part of counseling, obviously. Right. But that wasn't what we were there to or- practice. Um and so it was just interesting, yeah. I don't know. It's easy. It's way easier to problem solve. Yeah. It's way harder to understand. Yeah. Um, I was as this. This goes back to the question about daily routines and the and this the like the synergy between what you do day to day, the phys, the, the technical things, what you do, and how you feel. Um, I think a lot of us sometimes think that we just need to change our emotions. Yeah, right. When, in fact, <laughs> it sometimes needs environmental changes or, or changes to your daily practice. Literally the things you do, like you woke up, you journaled, you, had, you, made a, you, you, pr- you prayed. Yeah, yeah. You had anything that you felt connected, you know, how yeah. got you in the right place, went right. for a walk. Um, you know, and I, so just to, you know, in, in terms of, um, I think sometimes we forget that we need to be doing the right things in order to be the right, to be who we need to be. Um, there's this, there's this like triad I think about when when working with a, with a new dog or my existing dogs of um, understanding technique and mindset. So I need to understand who they are. I need to do the right things with them. I need, yeah, of course, is I that technique? Them. That's more like what are you actually doing on an outing? Like how yeah. do you hold the leash? How do you walk? How do you carry yourself? Um, where do you go? How much do you expose the dog to, and, and when do you pull back? Like, how do you know that you, you want you want to build them up to be bomb-proof, right? So, how do you know how far to push them? How do you, you know, how do you read mm-hmm. them? How do you, you know, all those technical things that some trainers are really, really good at, probably way better than I am. Um, but there's also that final piece of mindset. So you can do if you don't do the technique stuff you can have the, the great mind and a really and it can take you a, a long way like i mean my my one of my teachers sam always says your dog will look at you when you're worth looking at <laughs> right yeah and they just and that's inner core that's not like you got like some food in your hand <laughs> and i'm always like yeah my dogs aren't looking at me because you're not worth it um <laughs> and i find that's the he's got this great shirt it says it it's just like so biting and so true and mm. um but it's also you know to also raise a really you know a strong confident powerful dog you have to do the right things physically and technically and i think that also plays out in our own life um mm-hmm. i have to understand who i am i have to do the right things and i have to also work on mindset and how i see the world how i see other people how i see myself um so those two i think work 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 together nice all right, so it's almost in in our plus two hours plus of conversation. I still haven't got to the question of you don't have a cell phone. Did this did not not come up last? Time? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. Can you believe that? I know. And I I in the promotional materials. It's all like no cell phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like who's yeah. the weirdo with no cell phone or wireless internet? Right. So yeah, can just tell us. I guess did you ever have a cell phone? Yeah. So okay. I should so say yeah, for, tell us sort for, of this whole journey. I want to hear. Um, so I have one now only for – it hasn't been on for a long time, but I, I use it for emergencies. Um, so um, I was in a car accident on, I guess, on Christmas Eve. Yeah. And thank God I had, you know, So mobile. do you carry it with you? 
I don't have it with me now. Okay. I probably should just leave it in, 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 in my car in right. my bag yeah, turned yeah, off. Yeah, and yeah. if ever, anything happens, if I see someone who needs help, mm-hmm. if I need help, um, and, I, and there's no access to a sort of a wired right, right. Uh, phone, a landline, then I can use it. Right. Um, so it started, to be honest, it started when, um, you know, I was dating. This was maybe 10 years ago. And, you know, you, you go out with a girl, woman, um, and you text them the next day saying, like, hey, I had a great time. Like, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. X night, Thursday night. You don't hear back. You know, it's been, like, 20 minutes. You don't hear back. Like, <laughs> it's been an hour. You don't hear back. <laughs> it's been two hours. You don't hear back. And then you're, like, and, and that went, that was stressful for me. I'm, like, yeah. an emotional guy. Yeah, like, yeah, we yeah. all want to, like be liked and you know and, mm-hmm. and if there's someone that you may like you want them to like you back all that all that stuff right mm-hmm. so the i started being really unproductive on these days i like i would like dread a date with a woman when i would when i would like her because i knew the stress that was going to be coming so a daily practice that i started to implement was do not bring my cell phone with me just leave it at home go to the library this is when i was working on the phd just go to the library and leave it just leave it that started it that was um that was the first this was a long this wasn't for health reasons this wasn't all the stuff i'm into now or the concerns i have about wireless technology now this was just a management i need to figure out how to manage myself a bit more and i need to change up i need to figure out what what, what's what's getting my what's getting in in my way of feeling good in the day and being productive working on whatever i needed to work on I was like, this thing, this thing I keep looking at. Yeah. It just reminded me of either like my inadequacy, or, like I'm not good looking enough, or like I wasn't, I didn't speak clearly enough, I didn't, or, or whatever, right? Or, yeah. the, or the text I sent was, was, <laughs> was not, you know, was, was weird or stupid, or the joke I made wasn't funny. So I just said, you know what, just get it, just, you know, just get it out of my life, at least for, you know, a good chunk of the day. And I, I thought that that started, you know, that made me a lot happier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in other moments where you like you go out, you go away, or you go for you know you go to a, you go out of town and you, you leave, just leave your phone, and you're like, you know, I'm actually able to be with people, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I, th- I find that has really improved my ability to like. There's nothing else, and I'm not thinking about who texted me because I don't, I don't care. I don't have the option to even think about it. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm emo- emotionally stronger than anyone to be able to like, really be present mm. and have a phone. Mm-hmm. It's just I've taken the phone out because I'm probably not emotionally strong enough to really connect. So I need to help myself, if you know what I mean, yep. by removing distraction. That's how it started. Um, last summer was when my a cousin of mine, this brilliant 28 year old, he was trying to figure himself out, um, and we have some great conversations. He sent me a few. Um, he sent me a. Uh, a podcast by this neurosurgeon in the U.S. called Jack Cruz. I, I have no idea who he is or what he says was right, but he's saying things about, um, like, how to think about health and how to think about our connection with nature and the inundation in our environment of artificial, quote-unquote, like, human-made, man-made things that are just inconsistent with evolution. And I think I was going through a time when I was thinking a lot about, you know, especially with the dogs, about returning to nature. Like, what does it mean to connect with an animal? Um, what are we as individuals? Um, and I started to re- think about removing the things that are inconsistent with how humans would have evolved over centuries, um, millennia, right? 
Um, and he, part of what he teach, what he talks about is the, the real health effects and negative health effects of artificial electromagnetic fields. So the earth gives off uh, these fields. Lightning gives off fields. Sun emits these fields. Do you know much more about the Earth thing? Megahertz or something? Doesn't it give off an energy field? Of yeah, that, I mean, it's operating at the Hertz level, which is a very low, right? Um, 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 wave, a very sort of like gentle wave. It gives off. Right? And is it is it electrical or something? Yeah, it so is. So the field is 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 it's energy right. flowing through the air in the in the form of a wave. And there's different wave forms. So yeah. there's like a sine wave. There's a Different, they look different uh-huh. based on what's emitting it. Um, but the Earth gives off a wave. Yeah, so does the my, sun. Heidi, or my mindfulness teacher, talks about that too. Because right. in mindfulness, part of it is connecting to that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, so the term grounding, right? Right. Putting your feet right. on right. the ground and getting the even if it's the ele- floor in the twentieth story of a building, that there's still something to that. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So Sorry, yeah. Um, so the. It, it was just part of like reconnecting with 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 nature. Yeah, and, and you say yeah, the doctor was talking about all these different forms of right. energy. Yeah. So the, the first, I mean, so he 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 initially was on about light. He um, he was really struggling with 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 his own health, and he sort of took a step back. This really resonated with me. He took a step back and saying like, "What's wrong? Everyone is just no one's thinking critically about our environment." what's wrong with it? And he was saying like, well, these, these lights were surrounded by, they're telling our body it's a different time of day. Um, so light is a form of electricity, mm-hmm. right? It's, or it's a form of energy that sits higher in the electromagnetic field spectrum than say the, the low frequency fields that come off of the earth. Okay. But it's part of the same, yeah. like same, it's just a continuum, right there. It's operating at a higher uh, frequency than, than others. So, um, I started listening to that guy, and I, and I was it was just fascinating. And I didn't know if it was true. I never, I have this issue with the YouTube personality phenomenon. Like we just sort of accept it, um, <laughs> right? And because I'm a researcher and I yeah. and I want to figure stuff out, I, I I went down the rabbit hole. I started reading up nice. about like what are scientists and researchers researchers saying about the health effects of this stuff. For anyone out there, that's a and you don't have to be a researcher or a professor like David. Google Scholar has a lot of papers, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. as and you can check their credibility too, right? Uh, it's hard. I mean, so this is what's so if it's hard peer about reviewed, it. is that I mean, a little but better? Then there's also, yeah, yeah. So it, it's better if it's peer reviewed, okay. but not always, right? Yeah, so okay. There are um, there's lots of cases now where peer review has failed, right? You get papers that have in the humanities. Data. There's a whole bunch of yeah, and even in the on. natural sciences where yeah. you think that I mean, this is the big thing that I'm that I'm going through now, and I I sort of felt this as a as a political scientist where we speak the language of objectivity and yeah. and um, like valid conclusions and truth based and, on evidence and evidence. The evidence suggests this when in fact we're you know. We're lazy. We're we're just flawed humans, right? We we have, we get tired, so we make mistakes. Mm-hmm. We get lazy. We have other incentives. Um, who funds your research can really shape the findings or how you structure your project, um, because how you structure that project will affect the 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 find your findings, and then it right. affects your funding, and then it affects your ability to right. pay off your mortgage, and yada yada yada. Yeah, so right. peer wow. review itself isn't. Um, like and indica- foolproof or something. It's not foolproof, yeah. and there's been a whole host of issues with it. And some that I'm speaking to, re- some scholars I'm speaking to recently about this issue, they're saying it's actually getting way worse because you have 
especially on the really controversial topics that have huge economic and military um like influence stakes, or whatever yeah um they they actively intervene in the scholarly process so telecommunicate the telecommunications industry since the 90s has been all over research on cell phones hmm. um producing what they call negative studies studies that show no harm um in, a, in an attempt to i think create some degree of uncertainty because when there's uncertainty we don't do anything We're like oh we don't know if it's harmful or not so that's their line. We don't know. We don't right, know. We right, don't right. know. And so, yeah, so I, we detracted a little bit. So you started to – no, that was my fault because I – but so you started to look into the research and then I said, yeah. hey, anybody, you can do that if you want to. Yes, but So you yes. started looking into the research. And, and it, I'm – I'll be honest. I wasn't shocked that these things aren't unhealthy. Right. Um, <laughs> I think um, – I just – you just find, you know, in 2011, the, the World Health Organization's um, – I think in the initial podcast I said International Association, but the International Agency for Research on Cancer, they assemble teams of experts in specific fields to go through the existing literature uh, on what is deemed a potential toxin or toxicant to figure out if it's carcinogenic or not. So in 2011, they, they labeled radiofrequency radiation, this is the type of radiation that comes off of phones, as possibly car- uh, as a right. possible carcinogen. Has it's, there been follow-up on that? Well, there's been a ton of, of, of further studies ju- that just further um, suggest that it's not just a possible carcinogen, but it's either a probable or full-blown human carcinogen. Wow. There's a recent uh, U.S. government-funded study by the National Toxicology Program, the NTP, um, that found clear evidence of a carcinogenic effect from cell phone radiation in male rats. So this stuff is, is real. And, um, you know, 50% of us are getting cancer. The mental health, you know, last, last podcast I was on with you, Mike, we rhymed off a number of statistics about the mental health of students at yeah. U of T and across Canadian universities. Yeah. It's not a pretty picture. I'm not saying radio frequency radiation is 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 everything but i think it's incredibly i think it's very important and something we don't think about um if you think historically the the extent to which we would have been exposed to this stuff was like nil in the 1950s 60s if you lived near like a a, you know a a radar antenna sorry a radio antenna or a, a military radar you'd be exposed to it but there wasn't the same type of like tv radio programming and there definitely was not any of the the mobile um, wireless communication systems that we now have. So we now live in an environment that is so different from what our ancestors grew up in. Even 50 years ago, Even 25 years ago, 20, 10. Yeah. yeah. So the existing government standards on this stuff are reflect like a 1950s, 60s mentality when it was really about protecting those who worked um, in the areas close to radar systems. Right. Um, now everyone's walking around with a mini radio, and we don't, I don't think we have the the regulatory framework in Canada, let alone in the U.S. or elsewhere, to to adequately protect us. Um, so the paper I'm, I'm working on now, and it's cl- very close to being done. Um, it's been a hell of a project, and and I should say that I'm not sure that I'm right about everything. It's just, um, you know, I'm doing my best to figure this one out and yeah. figure out the best types of policies that I would tell the government to to implement or recommend the government to implement. Um, but I think we need to move towards a world that, um, quote unquote, moves backwards. 
<laughs> as opposed to forwards towards 5G, which, you know, right now, you, if you look at your phone, you have either a 3G or 4G phone. Uh, now we're talking about rolling out towards 5G, which is going to be um, not only much faster, but a much more intense um, frequency. Or frequ- it's a higher frequency, so in the gigahertz range. Uh, right now, our phones work in the sort of the, the low, very low gigahertz range or the kilo, you know megahertz range. Um, but you know, five G requires cell you know cell towers or cell antenna in front of homes, directly in front of homes. Um, that's very dangerous. Most of us don't want to live near these big things, right? So if you live five hundred meters, research suggests if you live within three hundred to five hundred meters, it can affect your DNA in negative ways. It can it can lead to oxidative stress at the cellular level, which is identified as a precursor to cancer and a whole host of other other issues. Um, in regards to mental health, exposure to this type of radiation has been uh, said to be, um, it's said to weaken what they call the blood-brain barrier, which is something that protects the brain from environmental toxins. Um, so if we're thinking about, you know, why aren't our brains functioning as well? Why are we irritable? Why are we anxious? Why are autism rates going up? Why are ADHD rates going up? It's not only radiofrequency radiation, but, you know, you put that near a kid. What's it doing to its ability to protect itself? It's, suppre- it's sort of, hmm. it, it, it generates a stress response. It undermines the immune system, prevents cells from operating properly. Um, and over time, that stuff plays out, in, I think, in, in, in weird and mysterious and problematic ways. So it's scary, and going back to the thing, the, the thing that we spoke about before, I think in some ways, being present, knowing this stuff, and not being alarmist about it, and how to be, you know, how to keep your mindset together when when the world's <laughs> falling, like when the world's falling apart, yeah, um, and how to be the you know the the person that John Kabat-Zinn wants us to be while you read pieces in the New York Times about like a burning world from climate change like what 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 do you do and how do you be present can't should you be Mm -hmm. present in a world that's burning Mm -hmm. like that and I'm not saying no you shouldn't I don't think I know he doesn't mean that no Um, well he means be present in the world that's burning so that you can put out the fire yes exactly as opposed to not help put out the fire in a sense of Yeah. yeah Wow, and there's—I'm not sure how much time we have, but there's this one. There's this one. Um, there's this debate within Buddhism between the engaged Buddhists, yes, the Dalai Lama types, um, and then those who I'm going to go to the monastery. Yeah, um, I'm going to go to the hilltops of Tibet and leave me alone. Yeah. Um. So it's it's a fascinating time where you know we're really working on being better people um, and being present, and you know sometimes the, sometimes you know I wonder if mindfulness. Well, no, I, I know mindfulness is always useful, but it's always this, um, is this really, this, this struggle, this balance between making the world a better place yeah. um, while being content and calm with where you are. Right. Because if, on yeah, the face yeah, of it, it yeah, sounds yeah. like contradictory. It does. If you're a, if you're a, you know, a civil rights activist in the 50s and 60s, in order to push you forward, you had to identify your, your space as something you didn't like. Right? Yep. Um, but I, d- I wouldn't say that mindfulness says you shouldn't do that, right? right? Of course, of course. I think, and I think um, Dr. King was an incredibly effective person.
person and and cre- uh, there was a re- a book that came out recently from a U.S. general uh, in Afghanistan. It was about leadership, and they, him and his co-authors, uh, I think they listed twelve or thirteen of the greatest leaders of the of all time, or I can't remember. And Martin Luther King was number one, and they just said because he was so smart and so effective at managing all these different temperaments and people in the civil rights movement and you know, I guess the U.S. government and whatever it was. Um, but he was a deeply religious guy, right, and a spiritual guy. And I I don't know much about him. I'd like to learn more about him and Gandhi because they're sort of the most famous um, nonviolent mm-hmm. sort of activists or protesters or, you know, for lack of a better word. But no doubt he must have had some mindfulness practices or experiences, right? Because in order to navigate the chaos, you have to be centered. And so I don't, you know, and it's interesting you mentioned about the the internal, I guess, maybe paradox in Buddhism of I'm just going to go and hide in the hills and meditate till I die versus, no, we should be sharing this in the world because it's helpful. Um, that's also a, a debate I would say between Western religion and Eastern too, right? Like the Western orientation is missionary, right? Like we need to shove the Bible down everyone's throat, uh, because it's the gospel and God, you know, wants that, um, versus the, well, here's something on offer. If you want it, here it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that is something that the Buddhist community is working out. I have no idea. Um, but, I would say being mindful and present and less attached to good, bad, do this now, not, I think is actually more productive or more conducive to effective action when you take it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, um, you know, I remember a few weeks ago I was reading up on the research about the health effects of cell towers. So we all know, I mean, okay, cell phones maybe close to your body aren't good, and the industry says don't put in your – if you look at the fine print. Does it really? What does it say? Don't, it, you violate public health guidelines if it's right against your body. So I sleep with it under my pillow sometimes because, like, I fall asleep listening yeah, to it. Yeah, so, like – That's please, a bad idea. Don't, yeah. Just don't. Like, keep it – yeah. It's a, it's a really <laughs> I bad – I know. It's so bad. So bad. Okay. But it's not just – you know, it's like, oh, it's – I mean, the the risk of brain tumors is like, you know, heavy use. So those who use their phones um, heavily yeah. have like a doubling of their brain tumor risk. And that's where earphones are helpful, though, no? Yeah, it's, like it's a way to extent. mitigate. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Speakerphone, um, right. airplane mode when it's not being, when, it, when you don't need it. Um, and all the other things you need to do to be healthy. Right. Right, to get to mitigate these effects. But I, I was reading about, you know, cell towers and I... Um, you know, I, I live near some, right? And I, it's such an interesting intellectual, emotional challenge to be <laughs> okay, like, and just feeling okay with your environment, which I, and I, I'm totally, I, I think what ended up allowing me to survive those few weeks of doing that research was to remind myself of, don't let that thing give you all this power. Like, be content, be compassionate to other people. Don't blame the cell tower for why you, want to you know (laughs) yell at your dogs because they're so frustrating right um just manage it all and i think the more i worked the more i reminded myself of that the more you can deal with you're absolutely right the more you know the more you can deal with the chaos and the pokes 
yeah. because you're actually powering up. The pres- being present, you're 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 gaining power. So Martin Luther King was probably brilliant in that sense because he had the wherewithal to to do both, right? To be present while wanting to also change his environment. Yeah. So one yeah. Uh, to add to that quickly, and we should probably stop. Is Gandhi mm-hmm. supposedly took one day off a week where he would have silent a silent meditation, a day of silent meditation. Right. So literally in the midst of, I wouldn't, I don't know, think a huge struggle. Yeah, it wasn't revolution, but in the midst of oh, yeah. bringing down the British Empire in India, yeah. um, he would take a day off every week, and you know. So I can only imagine the amount of people that were like Mr. Gandhi or whatever they would call him. Um, you got to come now. There's this, you know, the the British troops are here doing this, and and you we need you now, now. And he's just like, no, it's my day off. Yeah, it's my day off because if he wasn't pr- able to be present and practice that self care that we talked about in the beginning, then he's of no use. Right when shit hits the fan right like and, yeah and th- that's a great example for rethinking what it means to be selfish yeah and why we n- sometimes need to be selfish yeah i.e like i mean in the sense of taking care of your own physical and emotional health in order to be the yeah. person you need to be for others so if that means a day off or disconnecting for a bit yeah um it's actually more do helpful what you need to do so yeah. you can go back out into the world and and be resilient and be giving yeah it's so hard to be compassionate but it's 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 it takes a lot of you know it takes a lot of energy yeah right because yeah Yeah. cool all right we're gonna stop that was awesome um thanks everybody for listening and i don't remember i I don't know if we have a guest next week i might take the week off actually but we got a bunch in march (laughs) talking about self-care and i want to leave it i'm gonna say one thing and then turn the music back on. Gandhi ha- said he had three enemies. And num- the third biggest enemy that he had, I guess, it was the British. The second biggest enemy he had were the people of India. And the first and biggest enemy he had was himself. So I leave that with you and hold that thought and hold that reflection um, and be well. Take it easy. Peace. This is the State of Mind podcast at Radio Region Park. Thank you, David, very much. Thank you. And uh, till next time, everybody. Let's get